Welcome back, everyone, to another episode here on the 5571 Podcast. My name is Danny. You might also know me as Just Ask Danny from YouTube. Um, and if you haven't listened to this show before, we're going to go over all of the latest Disneyland and theme park news in our 5571 News segment, and then hit into our Main Street topic for the week, uh, for the bulk part of our episode. But um, go ahead and consider subscribing to the podcast because we have new episodes every week usually on Mondays or Tuesdays, and they're typically available as early as 5 a.m. so that you can um, get started on your morning commute or just have it available for you during that weekday um, to listen to for whenever it's convenient for you. And I do appreciate all the positive feedback that I've gotten from everyone, especially on the Toontown episode and Food and Wine Festival episodes. A lot of people really um, enjoyed that and had a lot of feedback, so I really do appreciate it. People telling me in person, people telling me via um, emails and direct messages. So thanks again for everyone that had that and had an opportunity to do that. I appreciate it all and um, love to hear what everyone has to think about it. So thank you so much. So for our first topic in the 5571 news segment, I wanted to discuss some things going on in downtown Disney. Um, so we talked about in past episodes um, about the Catal restaurant and Uva Bar, um, which is part of the same restaurant, um, right there closing soon um, to be transformed into the new versions of the restaurants they showed us earlier, Paseo and Centrico. Um, now, Disney Food Blog and a couple other blogs posted that the restaurants would be closing potentially on April 9th. Um, I don't know if, if those dates have been confirmed by anyone yet. Um, it feels like a lot of people are still using those dates as the final day, but we know they are going to be closing in April. So if you have some upcoming summer trips um, and you are planning on maybe dining at Catal or Uva Bar, um, they're probably not going to be available to you. So I just wanted to make sure that you were all aware of that if you were planning. So try to plan an alternative, maybe plan um, to dine at uh, Tortilla Joe's or maybe some of the Disneyland Resort hotels as an alternative. Um, currently, there's no other Mediterranean food offerings on property. Um, you can probably find pretty similar food um, from Catal um, over in like Disney's Grand Californian Hotel and Spas restaurants um, if you're looking for a similar type of food. Um, as far as the Uva Bar, you're probably going to find a pretty similar experience at the Naples Bar, just a little bit further down uh, in downtown Disney for uh, same style of food. Uh, like as far as uh, the appetizers and drinks that are available to you if you're just going to the bar and not wanting to dine at dinner. Um, but I would say it's those are probably com comparable experiences. Um, but again, yes, those are closing soon, so keep that in mind. Um, they're not going away. They're going to be in the same location. So Centrico will be the new version of the Uva Bar. That's going to be located in the middle there um, of downtown Disney, and that's going to be a Mexican-themed a uh, bar and a uh, lounge area outside there, which will be the adjoining bar and lounge location for the new restaurant, which will be taking over Catal, which will be called um, Paseo. And that's going to be um, mostly kind of a fine dining Mexican restaurant location. So I'm um, not really sure. Yeah, we haven't seen a lot of the menu or heard a lot about what it's going to be just yet. Disney only shared us um some early concept art um, and everything they showed us was upstairs in like the upper dining areas of that. And then we saw a little bit of a look at uh, Centrico bar in the middle. So expect that to be kind of walled up soon um, if you're going in late April. 
um, and um, you know it'll add to the other walls that are already in downtown Disney. Downtown Disney has so many walls at this point and no real timelines of kind of when things are happening as far as that southern end of downtown Disney. But other things that are progressing along in downtown Disney is the Ralph Brennan's Jazz Kitchen. Um, that reopened um, from its kind of major front facade work. Um, it has transitioned to a more modern look for Ralph Brennan's Jazz Kitchen. Some people either really like it or really hate it. Um, it's still in its transformation, but at this point is going to remain mostly open during this transition um, as it continues to finish the process to the very end. Um, so if you are planning to dine there, you don't have to worry. It has reopened and you can still make reservations, dine in the lounge and, and the main restaurant as well. Other exciting news over at Disneyland Park, Single Rider has returned back to Space Mountain. I know a lot of people really wanted this to come back um, along with Single Rider over at Indiana Jones, which hasn't come back just yet, and a few other attractions people want it back on, but they did bring it back over at Space Mountain, um, but when it first returned, they brought it back in a very strange way. Um, single Riders were given these laminated paper cards when they first entered the main standby queue instead of through the exit like we're normally seeing them doing. So you're entering the main entrance like all the other guests, but then you're merging with the Lightning Lane guests and you're going into the Lightning Lane queue. Um, and as you know, if you've ever been on Space Mountain more recently with Fast Pass and Lightning Lane, you'd know that the Lightning Lane guests go to the left on the top of the upper deck area and the regular standby queue guests go to the right. Now the guests on the right have significantly much more weight uh, of extended queues, back and forward rope queues all on the top of the roof. And then the Lightning Lane guests basically merge right into the building at that point um, and get to skip all that outdoor queuing area. Now, um, the lightning lane and standby lanes merge together as one as you enter the Space Mountain building and go into basically the loading zone. But there's still a lot of line left inside the building to wait for, even if you are lightning lane. So essentially what they were doing was they were forming a single rider queue right there at that merge point. And when they were, they would ask families from either the standby queue or the lightning lane queue how many were in their party. And if there was an odd numbered party, if you said, oh, we're a party of five, they would take one from the single rider queue and attach them to that family and send down that party of five plus the single rider to make them a party of six, which would give them an even number to fill all the rows evenly on Space Mountain. But what they're asking to be done here is they're asking that single rider to remain honest and follow this family that they don't know that they've been randomly assigned to all the way down through this interior queue to where you finally load on the attraction and say, oh yes, I'm part of this family I don't even know and I'm riding with them. No, the reality is, is they probably just merged in with the line and then when they got to the front, rode whatever row they wanted to. So essentially they were skipping the line and not even paying for it with a lightning lane or anything like that. So it just seemed like on paper, the most ridiculous implementation of, of single rider I've ever heard of. <laughs> um, and um, I'm glad to, to hear now that it's uh, gone away with. 
So obviously that didn't work out in its introductory period and Space Mountain is back to loading the way it used to for single rider. So if you're doing single rider now and you're listening to this podcast, it's no longer that wacky way. You're going to be going back through the exit of Space Mountain. So make your way towards those bathrooms at the exit of Space Mountain and follow the signage for single rider. You're going to be loading through the exit like you did before and then filling any empty seats in um, the, the vehicles as they arrive. Rumor has it they were trying this out because there was potentially safety hazard reasons for fire exits and stuff like that um, for not having guests queued up in the exit of the attraction uh, for single rider. But I feel like the other way was just causing chaos, right? You're, you're not only, um, you're now merging three different lines all at once. You're merging a single rider line with a standby queue with a lightning lane queue. And uh, it just was asking for trouble because you're asking these single riders to maintain honesty all the way down to when they board the vehicle. And I just don't think that everyone would be doing that. Um, And some people would, but not everyone would be. So it was just um, asking for chaos, in my opinion. So happy to see it return back to the old way. And hopefully we see it come back to a lot of other attractions that it used to be on as well. Over in San Francisco Square at Disney California Adventure Park, not too much extra construction progress has happened over here. We have had some pretty severe weather in the past week since that um, additional construction over there, but one change has happened. They've actually reopened the Pacific Wharf Bridge, so the bridge that connects the Pixar Pier area into the Pacific Wharf, it's all reopened now, but it is tunneled out in between walls. They're still working on that bridge. They haven't installed the big, huge archways that make it look like that San Francisco Bridge. Um, Those haven't been installed yet, so they're still painting and working on that bridge, but While they're doing that now, they have reopened it. So you don't have to walk and cram all the way through that one entrance, either from Cars Land over um, at the front of Cars Land or the back of Cars Land. You can access it the way you used to over the bridge. um, And it's really helped kind of ease the flow of traffic in this area. Um, But other than that, no visible progress has been made over here. No no additional signs have been added or anything like that. Um, It looks like the the all the works really focused just on that bridge for right now um so i'll continue to keep monitoring this as it changes um i was able to film a video this weekend which i'll have up some point this week um to kind of update on what toontown looked like and also what um was happening at san francisco square and any other changes i saw while walking around at disneyland um, and there were some changes to talk about on Toontown, which we'll, we'll discuss next. But for San Francisco Square, nothing major just yet, but we'll continue to monitor that. Next up, we had a little bit of a crazy scare over the weekend where um, the OC Register actually posted um, an article on their website indicating that Splash Mountain at Disneyland would close on May 6th, I believe, or May 7th. I'm not sure exactly which date they put originally, um, but they posted that it would close to make way for the construction that was going to be starting soon to transform the attraction to Tiana's Bayou Adventure. Um, And the internet went crazy and almost every single person reposted them, recreated their own posts, copying the same day, citing them as a source. Um, But unfortunately for the OC Register, Um, Disneyland denied this and um, they had to recant their article 
change it and say um, something along the lines of it's, you know, we still don't know or it was speculation. So we don't have any dates still yet for the closure of Splash Mountain at this point. We don't know even when Disney's going to confirm anything. Uh, they didn't even really confirm a denial on it. Um, other than they updated the website. Uh, this is the second time that the website has caused people to think something incorrectly. Um, everyone had posted and assumed that the Tarzan's treehouse would reopen as the Adventureland treehouse um, on February 11th or something like that um, because of the updated calendar. And basically people are going by the calendar information that's uploaded on the Disneyland Resort um, hours calendar. So the operating hours of different things. It shows like refurbishments and things like that. So if you keep checking it every day, you can see kind of what rides are on there still for refurbishment. And then maybe you go to a different day and it might not have a specific attraction anymore listed on refurbishment and it just disappears from the rides listed that day. So then people run with that and say, oh, this is when it's supposed to reopen because it's no longer listed under refurbishment. Um, or a new attraction shows up under a closure. And normally this is a pretty accurate way of finding out things, but it seems lately Disney hasn't been updating this calendar as far out as they had used to in the past. So it's really um, making it more difficult and or potentially showing false dates, which has happened now twice um, of when things might close or when things might reopen. So I think right now the best way to figure out when Splash Mountain's going to close is just see at this point either one of two ways. When Disney either announces it, if they choose to announce it, or when walls show up and the ride's no longer available. <laughs> I feel like at this point, um, I feel like it go either way. Either Disney will share with us when it's probably going to be closing or um, whether that's a planned far out closure or it's a last minute, hey, it's going to close tomorrow. Um, so get your rides in or hey, it's closing this weekend. So there's not a lot of time to prepare and have kind of some of that craziness that they experienced over in Walt Disney World when they announced so far in advance when theirs was closing. Um, and I can also see it be where they don't want that to happen. And so they just close the attraction in sort of a mystery fashion and no one really knows when it's happening. I feel like either one of those is potentially an outcome for this, but I feel like they might get a lot of upset guests if they did close it. Um, without any sort of notice that could potentially blow back on them. So I don't, I don't really know how, how they could go. You know, I always think back to rocket rods in Tomorrowland, you know, the attraction closed for a regular refurbishment with signs all around it saying it was opening in spring of 2001. Um, and then, you know, without any notice, Disney just closed the attraction forever and didn't say anything about it. And so um, all of a sudden, you know, this attraction that was only two or three years old, I don't even know if it was more than two years old at that point, um, was closed for good and no one had an opportunity to have ridden it their last time. It was just done. So, you know, it certainly is not out of Disney's wheelhouse to do something like this. And they're certainly able to do whatever they want, right? They always have that disclaimer subject to change, right? So they can do whatever they would like on this one. And I feel like the Florida process that was in play um, and sort of the craziness they saw might be a little bit of a learning experience for them. And they don't want to potentially recreate that. So I don't know. I feel like it's all up in the air with Splash Mountain. I don't like to speculate it on it anymore. The only speculation I ever did 
was assuming that it would close in January or February just because I had thought they needed more time to do it since the attraction is still scheduled to open late 2024, but they haven't even started construction on it yet. So that's a little bit scary, but also because Splash Mountain normally closes in January and February and sometimes early March um, for its annual refurbishment that it does every year. So we just assumed that you know, just like the previous year and every other year before that it would close around the same time frame, but then just remain closed for the renovation and reimagining to Tiana's Bayou Adventure. Um, but that just didn't happen this year. And um, and then no word from Disney at all on what was going on. So the attraction still remains open. Um, it could stay open very well through the rest of summer or it could close before summer. We don't know. Um could there be some truth to a May time frame of when it's closing, like the OC register was first saying? Potentially, but we have no confirmation yet. So I would say with this one, let's just wait and see what Disney actually says before we run with any specific date. Because I feel like this one's a little bit more um, volatile than most. And then lastly, for our 5571 news segment, I wanted to talk about Universal Studios Hollywood and the um, reservations or virtual queue that's needed for Super Nintendo World if you're planning on visiting there. Now, when the land first rolled out, including for annual pass holder previews, you did have to have a reservation or a virtual queue to get into the land. And that is still the case on most days, but there have been some days, and this is a change to the operation, uh, where they just don't use it. And you can actually just walk freely in and out of the land. So they've had days during the week where that's the case, where anyone can just come and go as they please. And they also have days where you are required to have a reservation with the virtual queue to enter the land. And on those days, um, reservations for the land might completely fill up um, early to mid-afternoon uh, for the entirety of the day. So um, always check the Universal Studios app. Check with the Universal Studios team members when you're first walking in the park if Super Nintendo World is a priority for you to make sure, hey, are we doing virtual queue today? And if we are, um, what does that look like? And in the app, it's pretty evident too um, on the home screen and everything. Um, so make sure you download that app because it's going to let you know the latest information if or not it's using virtual queue for that day. Keep in mind, Super Nintendo World also sells early access to um, the land itself, um, which you can buy in advance and which I recommend you do buy in advance since at this point at the recording of this podcast, half of April is already sold out. Um, it is pretty inexpensive, uh, at least individually. Um, it's about 20 to $30 a person, depending on the day of the week that you choose. And you do have early access to Super Nintendo World from 8 a.m. to 9 a.m. or that first hour of whenever the park is open. And then you're also guaranteed access through Express on the Universal Studios uh, World Famous Studio Lot Tram um, before 11 a.m. So you can experience your early entry in Super Nintendo World to get whatever it is you want to get done in the morning there. And then once the park opens, um, you have until 11 a.m. to use your free express access on the Studio Lot Tour um, as, as all part of the same combo. So it's a pretty good deal, I would say, and it's probably why it's selling out, um, especially if Super Nintendo World is a priority. This lets you get in the land and have that early access to really um, do what it is you want to do. There's like three major things you can do in Super Nintendo World and 
you kind of have to prioritize which one you want to do during that hour to really take advantage of that. You're either going to get your power up band and do all of the mini games that are related to the gamification in the land and the power up band during that first hour, which would be a great use of your time. Then your other option could be to go to Toadstool Cafe and get a return time. Keep in mind at Toadstool Cafe, um, there's no option to just queue for the attraction and there's no mobile ordering here. Um, you're getting a return time to come back to the restaurant, but again, keep in mind, just like a virtual queue, you're getting a return time to come back and you still have to wait in the queue inside the restaurant to be able to order your food. And more importantly, get a table to sit down at. Uh, this isn't a restaurant where you can freely sit at whatever table you want. This is a restaurant where you have to sit and wait for the staff there at the host or hostess stand to be able to take you to a specified table that they're going to place you at um, and where they're going to bring your food to. So um, even if you get a callback time for Toadstool Cafe, you could still be faced with a one to two hour wait to be dining at Toadstool Cafe with your food. So plan accordingly if this is a high priority for you as well and bring your patience because you're probably still gonna have to wait in a pretty long line over at Toadstool Cafe. And then during that early entry period, you can also choose to ride the uh, Bowser's Challenge or the, uh, the Mario Kart Bowser Challenge uh, attraction as well too. Um, you're usually gonna experience anywhere from 10 to 50 minute waits during that early entry period um, and also don't forget you can use single rider anytime during the day for this attraction as well too if you don't mind splitting up your party and riding in different ride vehicles or potentially even riding together depending on how it lands out um, single rider can be a great option for you and does move pretty quickly um, it might still be about a 30 minute wait at times for single rider, depending on how busy the day is. Um, but it's certainly going to be a lot faster moving than, uh, the regular standby queue is over at that attraction. Also keep in mind, um, if you do single rider, you are bypassing the majority of the line. Um, so there's a lot of high themed elements in the attraction queue that you're going to be missing by riding through the single rider queue. Um, but if that's not important to you and you just want to experience the attraction, um, then feel free to use the single rider entrance. But if you're really wanting to get that full experience and see everything there is to see in Super Nintendo World, maybe waiting in the regular queue is for you. And maybe that's how you choose to spend your early access to Super Nintendo World if you had a chance to book that. But I wanted to mention that because that was a change from when it first opened. Um, there are days that you can visit where, where there is no virtual queue, and then there are days where there are. So you just need to make sure on your specific day, if you don't have early access to the land, to make sure you're using that virtual queue as soon as possible to get your spot in the land before they run out for the day. And then more importantly, prioritizing Toadstool Cafe for that return time if that's a priority for you as well too. So for the Main Street topic this week, I wanted to continue that conversation about Mickey's Toontown and some new details that we got this week coming out of Toontown um, as far as changes, um, some changes that are still coming and pending, as well as um, some details that I missed when I was there the first time, but I've noticed since returning and just since the week has gone through, with other guests that have gone, you know, in and out of the land. And of course, the chaos that was last weekend when we were there, not everything was able to be seen during that period. But I wanted to first start off with um, referencing back to Star Wars Galaxy's Edge. So 
When we first were introduced to Star Wars Galaxy's Edge, one of the coolest things I felt with the land was the transitional areas in between the lands you're coming from and going to Star Wars Galaxy's Edge. Obviously, um, the you're going off planet into Batu for Star Wars Galaxy's Edge. You're transitioning from the world of Disneyland into the world of Star Wars. So they really needed to come up with a way to make you feel like you're being transported magically off planet to a new location in the Star Wars universe. And so part of that transition were these tunnels they created um, from the Fantasyland frontier side, from the Frontierland side, and of course um, from the Critter Country side at the back half of Disneyland. Um, all the places that intersect with Star Wars Galaxy's Edge had these cool transitional moments where you walk through some sort of tunnel or underneath a bridge um, and they play the Star Wars Galaxy's Edge score in sort of a faint sort of magical way alongside a kind of, um, you know, wind chime, you know, wind blowing sound that gives you the, the feeling that you're kind of transitioning from Disneyland and going to a new place. And then um, you walk through that moment and out the other side and you're hearing the sound effects of, you know, the Rise of the Resistance forest if you're on that side. Or you're hearing um, the bustling streets of the marketplace if you're coming in from um, the Frontierland side and headed that direction. So it kind of just depends, but it really does a great job of placemaking the area and really setting the tone for what you're walking into. And um, Imagineers kind of took what they learned a lot, I feel, from Star Wars Galaxy's Edge and brought it into a lot of different ways um, into Mickey's Toontown. Now, we talked about this on the last episode um, where my friend Peter from Ordinary Adventures had brought up that the land in Toontown felt living and that they brought that aspect of Star Wars Galaxy's Edge into Mickey's Toontown. Um, with having the character sort of roam around, walk around, we saw Daisy coming out of her apartment that's attached to the Cafe Daisy, and then just walking around all the patrons that are dining at her new cafe, and just, you know, interacting with guests around it. It's like where she lives. It's it's in Toontown. We have Mickey, you know, taking pictures outside on his patio, but also in his house um, in Mickey's Toontown. We have the other characters like Pete and Donald and Goofy and Pluto just walking around Toontown, you know, in between the different houses, um, taking photos, interacting with guests on the on the park lawns and everything. So it was really bringing an aspect of, you know, liveliness and characters roaming like we see with Rey, like we see with Chewbacca and the Stormtroopers and Kylo Ren over at Star Wars Galaxy's Edge um, with Mandalorian um, and, um, uh, Grogu as well as, uh, Boba Fett and Fennec Shand all walking around, um, all brought to life, you know, those characters kind of like how we see in Avengers Campus. It's a really great recurring theme to bring life to an area. And it's really, um, sort of an opportunity in the future for Toontown of where it could go with future characters being added. You know, there's a lot of little Easter eggs and homages being paid to um, some of the 90s cartoons like DuckTales and Rescue Rangers and things like that. So maybe we see characters like those introduced. We see a lot of references to the Goofy movie with Goofy and Max over at Goofy's house. So 
there could be potentially some um, new characters being introduced, just like we're seeing over at Avengers Campus and Star Wars Galaxy's Edge. It really brings a whole new level of interactivity to Toontown that really just didn't exist before. Um, but I got a little sidetracked there. Um, but we were talking about that in previous in a previous week, but I wanted to mention that again, uh, since that was p- what Peter brought up. And also just because I felt like I saw a little bit more of that when I came back, but back to the magical transition from outside land inside. Now you've always gone from Fantasyland and Disneyland into Mickey's Toontown, which was a Toon world where, you know, back in the nineties, when it first opened, they had touted, there's no straight line in Toontown and everything was, you know, you're walking into the world of Toon. And for the most part in the nineties, it was kind of like the first foray into like a totally immersive land. And Disney was really proud of this when it first opened. Um, but there was no true transition, right? Now, this was the first, one of the also first times that Disney was ex- extending Disneyland beyond the berm, as you could say, which is why you have to go underneath the train tracks in order to um, get to Mickey's Toontown. So um, there was never a true transition. You're kind of just walking under a bridge and then popping up in Toontown. But now they've sort of implemented that same magical transition from Star Wars Galaxy's Edge to Mickey's Toontown. And um, they actually have some sort of magical sound effect with all these speakers underneath the bridge that is taking place now as guests are walking in and out of the land that sort of transition you in and out of the land. Um, They've got a sort of pixie dust sort of magical sprinkling noise that's happening in the background. Um, with a lot of swooshing winds, just like with Star Wars Galaxy's Edge. And then all the land sound effects you would expect coming from Toontown, right? Like a tuba dropping and a horse neighing and like clacking its his hooves on the ground. You've got like um, other bell sounds and like springs popping. You know, all the things you'd expect weird sound effects in cartoons, right? Those were all happening as you're going through this magical transition and then popping out the other side when you hear the music of Toontown or going the other direction, leaving Toontown and hearing the music of It's a Small World as soon as you exit. So um, I have a little clip um, I'll go ahead and put in here on the podcast from what I recorded so you can hear what that sounds like. It was just like a little 30 second clip. So there's a sample clip of what it sounds like as you're transitioning from inside and outside Toontown. I thought it was a really cool effect. I had heard this really late on opening night, but it was such a chaotic kind of experience on that opening day. I didn't really have a chance to kind of record it and sit and include it. I did go back and film another detailed video about some updates at Disneyland, including a second look at Toontown and some changes that might have happened. Um, And this was an area that I focused on and showed. So if you want to see sort of like a visual representation of that, 
Um, I also focused on that in the video and that'll come out sometime this week um, when I can get an opportunity to get that edit completed after this podcast. But I wanted to showcase that with you guys because I thought that was a fun little detail and it was very clearly influenced by um, the transition moment from Star Wars Galaxy's Edge into the rest of Disneyland and vice versa. Um, and I felt like it was a great addition to Toontown to really help bring that land into a more immersive experience, which is what they were really hoping to do um, with this reimagining. Other details and changes that I saw happening um, over in Toontown on my second visit. Um, now, I did have a chance to ask the cast member about Donald Duck's uh, play pond area where they're going to have the water play. Um, this area still has no opening date as of yet. Um, obviously they're hoping to get it done before the summer. It looks like everything's done and ready to go. I think it's more of just sort of like a ironing out the details and or slash maybe getting approvals for the area. However, they were using this space on my last visit, which they weren't using on opening weekend. Uh, they were using it as sort of like a dedicated space to meet Donald Duck and take photos with him, uh, which is great because the backdrop of this area is his boat. So perfect opportunity to get a great picture with Donald in front of his boat uh, when visiting with the kids and um, and just getting that family photo. Uh, they were doing this multiple times throughout the day when I was there on Saturday and Sunday. So um, this is a great a use of the space, in my opinion, in the time being until they can open it up as a true water play area. However, Donald was still walking all around the land as well, too, and over in Goofy's house in his backyard. So there's still some interactive elements, too, but there was moments where he did spend the time to queue up, especially since they had space for it. And then Goofy's house was another area that's still highly changing, right? The treehouse in the back isn't fully done. There's a little birdhouse play area that was still being worked on and it's not fully set up just yet. And the bridge even changed in Goofy's backyard from making creaking sound effects to uh, finally getting to what it was supposed to be, which is each plank of the bridge making a different sound effect as kids cross over it. So things have even changed since day one in regards to that. Um, so Goofy's house is changing a lot and there's a lot more coming still here. So it'll continue to evolve and change over the next few weeks as they get the opportunity to complete that. Um, so a lot of, you know, different things might be when you actually come to Mickey's Toontown. Um, in addition to that, um, over at the fountain, um, we saw, you know, I talked about in my video as well as on the podcast, the fountain was pretty much closed every day that we were there. Um, but when I was there this weekend, it was open all the time, but it was still sort of cold. So no one was kind of going near it, even though it was open. So, um, I would imagine as the time and the weather heats up, uh, there will be a lot of people playing around this and it seemed like there were no further issues keeping it closed. So that was another great detail. And then as far as the, the different parks and green spaces, everything was still wide open. Guests were kind of doing what they wanted on all the green spaces, which is what I think Disney really was hoping for for these spaces. They really wanted a place for kids to run around, families to relax and just kind of take a break from the rest of the theme park. And that was kind of really what was going on. So um, truly, I think if you think about Toontown being transformed into a new space that kind of fits the the use of the modern family, I think they've done a really great job of, of implementing that um, and bringing that to life as well as those other features like we mentioned with the interactivity and bringing the life back into the land with the characters roaming 
Um, so there's a lot of great changes I feel that were added to Toontown. Um, you might say some of the things were taken out like the fountains and we didn't really get a lot in return. But I think when you think about the picture of the land in general and what really was brought to Goofy's house and, and Donald's boat, um, you know, it was a multi-story um, area that you could go in and out of. But in those final years, um, even though you could go upstairs and downstairs in Donald's boat, there was literally nothing you could do on any of those levels other than short, short of like honking the horn on the boat. Um, but all the other elements either weren't working or had been removed. Um, and Goofy's bounce house before, you couldn't even do anything. You couldn't even enter the house. It used to be full of fake furniture that kids could bounce all over. Um, but because of liability reasons, that was shut down and the house was no longer ever used. Um, Chippendale's treehouse at the back, that had two ball pits that were closed almost immediately due to liability reasons as well. Left fully abandoned, half the time spent spent full of water from runoff and rain and stuff like that um, and completely blocked off from guests. You could of course walk up into the treehouse um, for a better view of Toontown uh, but then there was really nothing to do up there so you could just go down the stairs to the bottom. So truly not a lot that was taken away was really anything that was interactive at all for kids. In its place, we got, um, you know, an all new version of Goofy's house that kids can actually go in and out of that have a lot of interactive elements and more to come in the future with teased Magic Band plus interactivity. Um, Donald's boat now has interactive windows all on the bottom of it. And in the future, we'll have a water play area and a toddler play area in the back, which both of which are not complete and not done yet. Um, there's all these additional play spaces added in and around both of those areas with spinner toys and seesaws and all sorts of interactive outdoor fun things for kids. And then over at the treehouse, we talked about in the past episode too, but um, that quiet space added for kids that need that decompression or just to, um, you know, calm down after being overstimulated. So all these great things that were added may seem like we didn't get things in return for taking things away, um, but a lot was truly added that's functional and usable space. And when you think about it that way, I feel like um, overall it, it was really a win, right? Because so much of Toontown was no longer in its original state, you know, and it was really sort of a shell of what it used to be. And now we're back to a space where almost every single area of space in Toontown is being utilized for something. And um, I, I think it's a really great uh, look to the future, you know, and how Disney uses such a small space for such um, so many things inside of it. We have three major rides in it, um, including the Gadget Coaster, which I mentioned in the past, I feel still is a major ride. We have a quick service cafe and eatery with Cafe Daisy and um, Good Boy Grocers Market with snacks and other additional items available. So basically two different areas to eat inside uh, Mickey's Toontown and then a gift shop and also just green spaces and play areas for kids. So truly there's a lot to do for a family in this space. Um, and you might even say more to do in this space, and which is significantly smaller than Star Wars Galaxy's Edge um, than that land has. So that land has two major attractions in it, as well as other experiences like the lightsaber experience in Savi's workshop, the droid builder experience, and the droid depot. 
um, but only two major attractions. Um, and then of course the, 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 the characters walking around, but it's significantly larger and a lot more dead space in star Wars galaxy's edge versus Toontown has so many things packed in such a small area, including three rides, um, Mickey's house with a Mickey meet and greet Minnie's house with a mini meet and greet. You have cafe Daisy, you have Goofy's house, you have Donald's boat. So, so much jam packed in Roger Rabbit's cartoon spin all these things that were added inside this small, small space, it really get, goes to show how maybe Disney plans to use maybe Disneyland forward space in the future or other areas in the park they might want to redo, let's say for the Avatar experience and how they can turn a small space into a really highly interactive area that um, caters to so many things in such a small space. And it, they're really kind of thinking outside the box um, to take advantage of a not a not a large area and bring so much into it. So I think that's something to kind of ponder on and think about for a little bit because initial reactions might have been, um, oh, it's okay, or oh, it's back to the way it was, which is great, or oh, they took some things away. But when you really sit and think about all the details added with the transition and the the transition musical moment in the beginning and the new characters walking around and the the color and vibrancy brought back into the land itself the new things added and all the dead spaces that no longer existed like um you know we didn't even talk about the jolly trolley that was just sitting there before and now that they've removed it you know and and kind of made spaces that that utilize the old track and wheelhouse and stuff like that so there's definitely a, a lot of positive changes in the land and i feel like overall um I wanted to bring up those additional details to maybe help paint a better picture now that I've had a chance to go back and kind of really experience the land in a less chaotic atmosphere. But I will end my rambling there on Mickey's Toontown and we'll transition away from this topic next week. Uh, we're going to be having um, a guest host with us next week for a special episode going back into a totally different topic. Um, so look forward to that and make sure you are subscribed to the podcast so that you can get notified when that next episode is available. And I want to also um, implore you to head on over to my YouTube channel, Just Ask Danny. If you want additional content, you can watch my video that's already up about Mickey's Toontown from when I was there on opening weekend with Five Fires and with uh, Ordinary Adventures and just to check out all the new things that came to Mickey's Toontown. And then I'll have another Disneyland update video talking about my second visit to Toontown, some new details that were discovered, some changes. But in addition to that, the latest updates and construction progress at Disneyland over at the French Market, Splash Mountain, San Francisco Square, and a lot of other things we saw at Disneyland on our last visit here this past weekend. And... I threw in a little bit of WonderCon coverage too because it just so happened to be WonderCon this past weekend and I threw in a, a little bit of a quick kind of um, a condensed version of my visit over the weekend to WonderCon because that was also part of uh, my weekend too. But I want to thank you guys for listening to this episode and um, all the feedback that you shared. I really do appreciate it and we'll see you on the next episode. Bye-bye everyone.